Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening to Bible Crossfire every week at this same time. We're so happy that you you decided to join us. We'd love for you to participate in the program by calling us with a Bible question or a comment. You know, James chapter 2 verse 10 says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Uh, I think this is a truism. It's true about any law. I mean, how many crimes do you have to commit in the United States to become a criminal? Just one. Well, what this verse is talking about is, uh, here in the context, verses 1 through 9, is talking about pe- people being prejudiced against poor people or showing favoritism over the, ri- over the, the rich over the poor. Saying, look, the basic idea is if you're doing everything else right, but you're showing favoritism toward the rich over the poor or any other kind of prejudice then you're a transgressor of the whole law. Verse 11 then in James 2 says this same thing was true about the Old Testament law. And verse 12 is saying you're going to be judged this way by the law of liberty. Violate one point, guilty of all. The law of liberty being the New Testament law. So we're under the New Testament law. If we violate one point, we're guilty of the whole thing. Now that's Some people would be incredulous that the Bible would say such a thing, but it does. Don't think that you can... Just because you're doing most most things right, that you're, God's going to allow you to do whatever you want to do on, on something else. Like if I were to say, I'm not committing murder, or I'm not stealing, or I'm not raping anybody. I guess it'd be okay since I'm doing so many things right that it'd be okay for me to commit adultery against my wife. That kind of attitude is what we're getting at here. But so many people think that it doesn't really matter how you live. That is, They go to church, perhaps most Sundays. They think, well, I believe in Jesus, so Monday through Saturday, it doesn't really matter how I live because I'm a believer and all believers are going to be saved. Once saved, always saved. But the Bible doesn't teach anything like that. If you, Whosoever shall keep the whole law, James 2.10, and yet offended one point, he's guilty of all. So it does matter how we live. The way a lot of people live Monday through Saturday, it's like they think God doesn't care how they live, but he does care. If you have a Bible question or a comment, as the announcer said, give us a call at 877-655-6755. The number to call is 877-655-6755. On our Bible Crossfire program, back on October 1st, 2017, a caller brought up Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 to try to prove we didn't have to do anything to be saved. Well, when I suggested James 2.24 to counteract that false teaching, the caller said, and I quote, God cannot lie. Now, at first I was glad to hear him say that because I thought that meant he was going to proceed to tell us how both verses, Ephesians 2.8.9 and James 2.24, were true since God cannot lie. But I was disappointed when it turned out that what he meant by God cannot lie is that he was going to take what he thought Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 was saying and just ignore James 2, 24. In other words, God cannot lie in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and my understanding of that contradicts what James 2, 24 says, so I'm going to ignore James 2, 24, as if God could lie in James 2, 24, but not Ephesians 2, 8, 9. In other words, he could take the passage he thought fit his position, but call what God said in another passage a lie. That's not the proper approach to Bible study or investigation. What we should do when two verses, like Ephesians 2, 8, 9 and James 2, 24, when two verses seem to contradict, what we should do is figure out how both passages can be true. Since God cannot lie. He cannot lie in any passage. 
And actually, when we do that, we're going to fine-tune our understanding. We're going to learn details of the truth we may not, we may have overlooked before. Let's talk about some examples of that. How that when two passages on the surface seem to contradict, because God cannot lie, we need to find out how both passages can be true. Before we look at our first example, let me remind the audience, if you would like to call in with a Bible question or comment, give us a call. The lines are wide open right now, 877-655-6755. The number again is 877-655-6755. First example, Acts 9 verse 7 reads this way, And the men which journeyed with him, talking about Paul, stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. We're talking about the story when Jesus appears miraculously on, to Saul on the road to Damascus. But in Acts 22, verse 9, we read, And they that were with him, talking about Saul, uh, saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. So in Acts 9, 7, the people that were with Paul, says they, it says that hearing a voice, but Acts 22, verse 9, says they heard not the voice. Well, on the surface, it would seem like a contradiction. Did they hear Jesus' voice when Jesus miraculously appeared to Saul, or did they not hear the voice? looks like a contradiction, but if you just consider the way we use here all the time, H-E-A-R all the time, you understand it's not a contradiction. The truth is that the, the guys with Saul heard a voice, but they couldn't understand what was being said, the meaning. Paul, on the other hand, heard the voice and also understood the words. Many times if our wife's in the kitchen calling us and asking us to do something, we're in a in the bedroom on the other side of the house. We may hear her voice, but we don't understand the words because she's too far away. So in one sense, we heard it. We heard the voice. But in another sense, we didn't hear it. We didn't understand the words. We didn't understand the meaning. And that's what we're talking about here. There's no contradiction between Acts 9 and Acts 22. It's just using the word here in two different senses, just like we do that exact same thing all the time. The Bible does not contradict itself. If two verses seem to contradict itself, since God cannot lie, we have to look for ways where both passages are true. Now, how about going over to John 3? Here's my second example. Be turning to John chapter 3. Uh, and by the way, again, I'll mention the number. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. if you have a Bible question or comment. In John 3, verse 13, it says, And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. To many, that looks like a contradiction, because if you have a red-letter edition of the Bible, it'll this verse will be in red letters, meaning that the person who published the Bible thinks that Jesus said this and that John is just quoting what Jesus said while he was on earth. But if that's true, that presents a problem because if Jesus is on earth, how can he say even the Son of Man which is in heaven? Was he in heaven at that time or was he on earth? Obviously he was on earth. That's what the record shows. He was on earth speaking to these people here. Here's the problem with this. This is one case, maybe the only case, where the guy who decided to, what to put in red letters what was a quote from Jesus, happened to be incorrect. If you examine this chapter, you'll see that verses 1 through 12, Jesus is referred to in the first person, so that we can see from that that Jesus is speaking. 
If I'm referring to myself, I'll, I'll use the word I or me or in the plural, us. So the, Jesus is referred to in the first person. But all of a sudden in verse 13 and following, he's referred to in the third person. He, he's referred to in the third person. For example, verse 13, no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven. He didn't say, but me or I that came down from heaven. And then in verse 15, he says that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He didn't say, but whosoever, that whosoever believeth in me should not perish, but have eternal life. No, normally when you use the third person, you're referring to somebody else. So this text, the narrative switches from first person referring to Jesus in verse 12 to verse 13 and following is referring to Jesus in the third person. So my conclusion is, is that the Jesus quit speaking at the end of verse 12 and verse 13 is the beginning of John's comments, which he wrote 30 or 40 years later. So it makes sense then. There's no contradiction because when if John is just writing his comments, not a quote from Jesus in verse 13, but John is writing his comments 30 or 40 years later, then it would make sense to say even the Son of Man which is in heaven. In verse 13. But because by the time that John wrote this book, Jesus was in heaven. So there's no problem. Maybe it looked like a contradiction on the surface, but it wasn't a contradiction. God cannot lie. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. We're looking at examples of places in the Bible that seem to contradict on the surface. And we're going to, since God cannot lie, we're going to find out how they don't contradict and I believe when we do, we'll find out more details about the truth than we would have otherwise if we had not investigated why they don't contradict. The number again is 877-655-6755 if you want to call in with your Bible question or comment. Well, let's go back to the, the thing that we started this topic on, this program on. The, the, the one that had called in in October of 2017 and basically said Ephesians 2.8.9 but what about James 2.24? Well, there seems like there may be a contradiction at least on the surface because Ephesians 2.8.9 says for by grace are you saved through faith and not, not of yourselves it is the gift of God not of works lest any man should boast. James 2.24 though says you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. It appears that Ephesians 2 is saying you're saved not by works, and James 2 is saying you are saved by works. Now, some people, Martin Luther, the most famous Reformation movement leader, the one who started the whole shebang for much of his life, could not see how to reconcile these two verses. So his conclusion was James was an epistle of straw, not inspired. He couldn't very well say Ephesians was not inspired. Because that was written by Paul. And Paul wrote 12 or 13 books. And he would have to throw out practically half the New Testament if he had said Paul was not inspired. So instead he said James must not be inspired. Martin Luther made a mistake. What he should have done is found the solution. Found where both of those passages can be true. And they both can be true. If you understand them both correctly. Notice an example from the old... from the. Uh, from the uh, Old Testament illustration, the walls of Jericho. Notice the walls of Jericho fell by grace. Joshua 6, verse 2. Through faith, Hebrews 11:30, and not of works, Joshua 24, 13. Yet the Jews still had to meet the condition of walking around the walls for them to fall. I think we're all familiar with that story. 
So you notice I've phrased that, the walls of Jericho, very similar to Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, our salvation is by grace through faith, not of works. Well, the walls of Jericho fell by grace through faith, not of works. Yet, we remember they had to walk around those walls 13 times in seven days in order for God to walk the, knock those walls down. So, the, the way you reconcile Ephesians 2, 8, 9 and James 2, 24 is the same way. The death of Christ is the earning basis for our salvation, not our works. And that's what Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is saying. You're not saved by your works in the sense that it earns your salvation. No, the blood of Christ does that. You're only saved by your works in the sense you have to... You have to Obey Christ as a condition of the salvation. You have to obey Christ to be saved by the death of Christ. We must obey God as a required condition of salvation. That's what James 2.24 is talking about. Not that our works save us in the sense of earning our salvation. Ephesians 2.8.9 rules that out. Richard from Quebec. Go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Okay, I had a friend tonight. She was telling me about things are coming there. Uh, the vaccine, COVID-19, if you receive it, there's a chip in that vaccine, so they'll know where how to track you. And if you get that uh, COVID medicine, uh, you can go into hell because that's, that's the way to trick people. It was a bit uh, pretty much like that. Now, Richard, you had somebody tell you that, but did you ever read anything like anywhere close to that in the Bible? Uh, well, the Bible is quite big, so I don't know every word on the Bible, but right. actually, no. No, it's not in the Bible anywhere. I think sometimes people are taking these ideas from the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation says nothing about a vaccine or a chip. And by the way, there's not going to be a chip in the vaccine. It's going to be all, all liquid. So, But people are misunderstanding the book of Revelation, they're just making up a lot of stuff about it. Richard, you don't have your Bible handy, do you? Uh, not, no, I didn't expect to uh, have the Bible well, on me. Well, let me read to you two or three verses from the book of Revelation. Okay. First of all, Revelation 1.1 says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. Now, I'm going to stop right there and ask you a question. This is the first verse in the book of Revelation. So it's setting up the stage for the whole book. And it says the things, and it's prophecy, no doubt about that, the things that I'm writing to you, they're going to shortly come to pass. Now, that was written almost 2,000 years ago. If, if we're talking about things in the book of Revelation being fulfilled today, that wouldn't be shortly to come to pass, would it, Richard? No. That would be longly to come to pass. So you can look at the very first book, very first verse in the book of Revelation and find out that all of these speculation things that the people are saying, this in the book of Revelation is going to be fulfilled today or in the future. You can understand all of that is just, a, let me just use this word kind of to be funny. It's just a bunch of malarkey, a bunch of baloney, because Revelation 1.1 says these things... The fulfillment of this prophecy is shortly to come to pass. Now, let me read you the two verses later. This would be the third verse in the book of Revelation, Richard. It says, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of the prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Richard, what do we normally mean when we say something is at hand? 
something is at hand. What do we normally uh, mean by that? I'm not familiar with that term because me and French yeah. are not perfect in my English. Yeah, I understand that. But what uh, we mean in English by that phrase is something is close, either close physically in distance or close in time. Here in Revelation 1 verse 3, he's again saying that the, pro- these, the fulfillment of these prophecies is at hand, close in time. That doesn't sound like we're talking about something that's going to be fulfilled 2,000 years later, does it, Richard? No. But what, now, what is it about the sign of the beast, whoever possessed the sign of the beast, that means they are condemned, they go into hell? Yeah, so, so, so what I'm number? saying is the book of Revelation is prophesying the mark of the beast. It was talking about something in the first century time frame, shortly to come to pass. It was at hand. And then we go to the last chapter of the book of Revelation, Richard, verse 10. It says, And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. So the fulfillment of the prophecies of the book of Revelation was to occur in the first century time frame. Whatever that's talking about Revelation, where it's talking about the mark of the beast and the 666, it was fulfilled in the first century time frame. And the people, Richard, just to be honest, people try to speculate and try to make it apply to today because they're trying to sell books. They're trying to sell books. So they take something the Bible says is supposed to have happened 1,900 years ago and try to apply it to today or in the future. And they can't do that without contradicting the Bible. Richard, you got any uh, final comments before I let you go? No, uh, thank you a lot. I appreciate it. Thank you, Richard, for your call. Okay, thank you. Dot from Washington, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Not really a question. I was listening to your comments about faith versus right. works. Right. The Bible Bible tells me faith without works is dead. That's right. James 2, verse 19. James 2, verse 26. It says that three times what you said. Faith without works is dead. It says that three times in James chapter 2. In the verse I read, in effect, says the same thing in verse 24. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. So that's a good point, Dot. And that means that we're not going to be saved just by believing in Christ only. Our belief, our faith has to lead to action, has to lead to obedience for us to be saved. Am I right, Dot? It has to have shoe leather. has to have shoe leather. (laughs) That's a good way to put it. That's a very good way to put it. (laughs) Hebrews 5, verse 9 puts it this way. It's talking about Jesus. It says, Being made perfect, he became the author or the source of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. That sure does sound like we have to obey Jesus to to receive the salvation, the eternal salvation that he provides, doesn't it, Dot? Yeah, yeah. Dot, I appreciate your call. You got any final questions? You you got any more comments before I let you go? Follow-up? All right. Not really. What you said is exactly what the Bible teaches. Faith without works is dead. James 2.26. And so if a person thinks they can be saved by faith only or at the point of faith, they're mistaken. The Bible doesn't teach that at all. The Bible teaches over and over and over again. Almost every page of the Bible teaches you have to obey Jesus Christ to be saved. Thank you for your call, Dot. I have one comment. Okay, go ahead. Observation. If you have faith, you have to do something about it. Right. I mean, that's exactly right. You were quoting from James 2 how faith without works is dead, right? 
One of the illustrations that James gives to try to prove that is in verse 19. He says, Thou believest that there's one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. So if a person could be saved by faith without works, that would mean the demons are going to be saved because they have faith without works. Don't they, Doc? Yeah. You got to do something about it. You got to do something about it. You won't be saved without your faith being put into action. Thanks for your call, Doc. (laughs) Have a good evening. Thank you. All right. Bye bye. We were talking about Hebrews five nine. I think that verse explains how Ephesians two eight nine and James two twenty four don't contradict in and of itself. It shows that that Jesus is the author of the source of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. So you have to obey Jesus to receive the eternal salvation. But that doesn't mean that you're the source of your own salvation. No, Jesus is the source. We have to obey him. But that doesn't mean we're the source. Jesus is the source in the, in the sense he died on the cross for our sins. So Ephesians 2, 8, 9, when it says we're saved not by works, it's talking about the fact that Jesus is the source. Our works don't make us the source. But James 2.24, when it says we're justified by works and not by faith only, is saying that it's just saying the same thing as the last part of Hebrews 5.9, that we do have to obey Christ in order to receive salvation from the source. So the Bible is very clear on this over and over and over again. Bob from New York, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yes, hi. Um, my question would be, would like St. Augustine or any of the church fathers um, have recognized that the prophecies in Revelation had already happened before, you know, th- they lived. Yeah, I'm pretty sure all the people, the church fathers, and everybody before that, all recognized that the book of Revelation, that those prophecies were fulfilled in the first century time frame, because this idea of premillennialism, the first time that was ever dreamed up was, I think, in the late 1800s. So nobody ever thought the book of Revelation was going to be fulfilled in our time frame uh, until at least the late 1800s when people started coming out with trying to make money by selling books so they had to make everything spectacular. So I think, I think I'm not sure because I hadn't done a study of this, but all of the people back then understood what we read in Revelation 1, 1, verse 3, uh, Revelation 22, verse 10, that the time was at hand that it was all to shortly to come to pass. This is a new thing, this premillennial doctrine, that these things have not occurred yet. You got any follow-up, Bob? Yes, sir. Is is there any, like, things you could reference me to where the church fathers talked about this? Because you said, like, you hadn't done much research on it. No, I can't. I tell you what, I'll try to call you later after the program, and then I'll maybe I can get your email address or something, and maybe I can send something to you if I can find it, okay? All right, I appreciate it. Bob, thanks for your call. Thank you. And one reason we haven't researched that is because it doesn't really matter what the church fathers said because they're not inspired. It only matters what the Bible says. And we read from Revelation that the, the, the events that were prophesied in the book of Revelation were to shortly to come to pass. They were at hand, meaning near in time. We see that from the first chapter and the last chapter. So it's very clear that the prophecies in the book of Revelation were to be fulfilled in the first century time frame. Now, one other possible uh, contradiction. We see passages, and I'm talking about the subject of women preachers. We see passages like Acts 21, verse 9, that say, 
for example, Philip had four virgin daughters that prophesied. So we know women prophesied. But then we look at 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience. It's also saith the law, and if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's a shame for women to speak in the church. Seems like a contradiction. Women are prophesying, but they're not to speak in the church. There's not any real contradiction. If I told my kids not to talk in church, doesn't mean they can't talk in Burger King. So women are not to teach in the church, but outside the ter- church, they're to teach as much as they can. Ladies' Bible classes at home, Sunday school classes, uh, teaching children, but just don't teach in the church service. We're going to have to go off the air. If you are interested in a free one-hour phone Bible study with me, sometime at your convenience, call or text me, 256-682-9753. If you want the free one-hour phone Bible study, sometime at your convenience, call or text me, 256 682 9753